0: It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy. No,
1: that's Matthew Sosie. It's such cup. a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Yeah.
0: Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosie.
1: Film lovers, welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD Two, the point, and WFYI.org. If you have a question or comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Socey. The show is available as a podcast, and it's also available on iTunes. And joining me in the studio, one of the IFJA members, a man who likes long films for a project, and uh, film yapper Sam Wademeyer. How are you,
0: Sam? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm always surprised when you ask me back. I'm, Why? I don't know. It's it's uh, It's an honor. I don't feel well, worthy you. of it sometimes. That's
1: <laughs> thank you for holding the show in that higher regard. You must say you sound like Richard Propes or something, <laughs> only less of a hater. We love Richard. Yeah. Um, no, this is this is fun. I uh, we we have a lot to cover today. We have a dead person we like because we don't have time for dead people we don't like. <laughs> There's there is a big film that's opening this weekend and some smaller films. We have odd drive-in pairings, which just seems to happen quite a bit. <laughs> and uh, and I I came up with a remake idea with uh, Re- Abdul Shapaz, which I'll get to in a little bit. Uh, he had me do a preview of the summer movie season, so I was actually mm-hmm. trying to find. Four films to give a hoot about that's coming out in the next uh, few months. So we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. And of course, Sam has, Sam's been doing a series of of uh, double tape films. Uh, you remember you've, you remember those folks the the double VHS tapes? They're that epic, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But the, but ladies and gentlemen, the big film opening this week. If you had any doubts that Prometheus was an alien film, well, Ridley Scott just told you to shut up because he's now made Alien Covenant. A sequel to a prequel, and uh, let's see if this sounds familiar. We have uh, we have a vessel, we have a uh, with precious cargo with embryos and people, and and uh, and a group of uh, and are and asleep, and then they wind up uh, seeing a, a planet that's not on their radar, but they're gonna check it anyway. And guess what's on it? It's so all. If you if you wonder what happened to Michael Fassbender's character at the end of Prometheus, well, here he is. And uh, you have, let's see, on your crew, you have Billy Crudup, you have Danny McBride, you have Damian Bashir, and a few other international actors all together. And uh, guess what? Alien stuff happens, <laughs> if you haven't figured this out. Ridley Scott is back at the helm. He, of course, directed the first film, as well as Prometheus. And, uh, well, I, I'm going to get to my view of this in a second, because I'm the host. But but I, I one of the gentlemen who writes for the A.V. Club tried to refer to Alien Covenant as a throwback to the old Hammer horror films. Mm. And I was trying to see if I could find that. And I, I don't think I can. I th- Maybe. I mean, that, it's one thing that it's in space, but I thought, okay, replace space with spooky castle. Would it still be like that? And I'm still not quite seeing it. So anyway, Sam, Sam your thoughts on, on Alien Covenant?
0: Well, I think I can see the Hammer horror comparison in... The sense that Michael Fassbender's character is kind of a mad scientist.
1: So he he's Vincent Price,
0: right? Right, um, and obviously he's the the anchor of the movie. I think he's the strongest part of it,
1: like Prometheus, the MVP. And yeah. and it, ladies and gentlemen, as if one Michael Fassbender wasn't enough, steady ladies and and a few dudes. Um, there's there's two of them this time. So he is he is uh, an android of one generation. And an Android from another generation that's built different, and that will that will come into play in a little bit, along with the guy Pierce cameo at the very beginning. Um, the film for me, because it's Ridley Scott, and and Scott's been on kind of a rough patch lately. He's been making really expensive films that I don't know anybody who has seen, which is which is kind of unfortunate. Um but but the film the first 3 quarters of the film feels like the tone and the pacing of the first alien film and then the last half hour is the alien shoot 'em up that kind of James Cameron mastered 30 years ago. Um what when alien first came out in 1979 and I saw it in a the theater I'm okay. But what Cameron or i say what what Ridley Scott did was to take a B level, a B movie genre sci-fi and horror and elevate it to grown-up status to varsity status since then we've had a combination of sci-fi and horror to various degrees to that immediately come to mind a uh, cult the cult film event horizon and the less successful supernova but but the fact is now we have the technology's better the pro the budgets are bigger and this time around, it feels like I guess you know you made you made the hammer comparison. It's, it's Ridley Scott's making a very expensive B movie, hmm. and I don't think. And we've seen expensive B. I don't mind expensive B movies so long as they know that they are, and I don't think this one does. Um, and the plot point with the two Michael Fassbenders that there's a plot point that involves those two. My father hasn't seen this film, and he sees it coming, hmm. and so it and you have a, an interesting group of actors that have very little to do um except Fastbender Fastbender's fun to watch I don't think it's a, it's enough to carry its fun. it's you know what it's a strong it's a basketball team in the playoffs with one great player and they still get swept
0: hmm I'd I mean I obviously think he's the strongest part of the of the film but um I'd argue that the crew is pretty engaging too I really enjoyed Billy Crudup um and Catherine Watterson and Danny McBride. And I thought the fact that the crew consisted of couples added some emotional weight to it.
1: And a shower scene. <laughs> Thanks, right. Ridley. I mean, Which
0: kinda it, had a nice like eighties slasher vibe to me. It it did. Yeah. There, <laughs> there's
1: Okay. and For those who enjoy the throwback of okay, you're you're an actor you're an up and coming actress and you need to be in a movie. By the way, you got a shower scene. Uh but yeah it does there there is a fi- if you if you take a date to this gang there's going to be a scene involving the aliens in a shower and yeah it is it is a very eye rolling thing so have fun with your date on that one So so but did it sounds like you liked it more than I did
0: Um I liked it a lot and uh I think you know I've noticed friends and colleagues criticizing the third act and saying that it basically consists of the aliens wreaking havoc and my response to that is that's what the early movies did too um and it's kind of i i mean i was expecting it and i was fine with it and i thought it was just you know a bit of popcorn entertainment after kind of a heftier more philosophical drama with focusing on the Michael Fassbender character. I,
1: ju- I just watched the Honest Trailers for Prometheus, and that's that's very entertaining. Um, <laughs> yes, and thank you for acknowledging that Charlize Theron can only run in one direction, <laughs> and members of One Direction. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I know there's, there's still big alien fans out there. I, you know, I just, I think after the first two, and I, yes, I know, I need, I know, Alien Three was, was was taken away from, snatched from the clutches of, of David Fincher, and I know there's a cut. I think there's a director's cut out there somewhere, and then the, the, the fourth one, which I barely remember, um, but I just not as drab and depressing as Alien Three, <laughs> and, and Prometheus. Was really uneven. Like, it's Fassbender is fun to watch, and you know I like Idris Elba in just about anything, and we'll have we'll have more Idris Elba info in a little bit. Um, but I and I know I've talked about with films like Star Wars. Star Wars was a combination of something old and something new, and I think I think Alien is trying to do that with Covenant of going back to the the basically the same the similar storyline we have uh we have explorers in space and bad things happen. Right. Um it just I don't think it didn't do anything for me, I should say.
0: Um and I don't I can understand people thinking that it's kind of tired well-worn territory and that it kind of does the same thing, but I don't know, I think you also have to consider that this could be people's introduction to the series and actually it was my uh, girlfriend's first Alien movie that she had really? seen. Really, yeah. So, like you know, the the aliens wreaking havoc, and and the the crew of space truckers feels tired to us. But I don't know. I think it works as an introduction to the older movies, and and I don't know. I, I was I was uh, very engaged by it. Well,
1: does she want to watch the other
0: films? She does. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So. I mean, I think it's effective in that sense. But, um, I don't know, I think there's enough new stuff there. Um, I think the uh, Michael Fassbender character, uh, David uh, specifically, is um, really engrossing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think with some fine-tuning could be just as iconic as some of the other alien characters.
1: I also wonder if this is uh if this a term that i've used is if this is a stepping stone film because if if this thing makes a kajillion dollars globally not just here globally i wonder if scott will f- make a third film that will connect this storyline and end where the, the beginning of 1979's alien begins hmm. Um, that, cause uh, that was also in the back of my head is, are we, are we, you know, are we going to connect this kind of like what star Wars is, is starting to do? Right. Um, anyway, we, 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 will see. So, um,
0: I'd kind of like to see an exploration of the, uh, Guy Pierce character as he was creating David, mm-hmm. maybe kind of like a Steve Jobs esque portrait of, of that character, but,
1: but he's not Tom Hanks in the circle. Right. So right. not Steve Jobs. Nope. All <laughs> caps, not Steve Jobs. Not uh, yeah, not Phil Knight, not, not Mark Zuckerberg, nope, none of them, none yeah. of them. Missy Pyle, so not Nancy Grace and Gone Girl. It's one of those casting choices. Okay. Um, so so okay, there you there you go. You have two you have two comments out. I think it's one of those where I didn't like it because it was kind of a retired retread. And you did like it because it was kind of a tired rechat. It's okay, it's fine. I'm the host. Um all right. There there are there's a few alternatives if uh if Alien Covenant doesn't do anything for you. Um opening in theaters, and by the way, these these are kinda at that place on the north side with the bar, you know, the, the one with arts and keystone and yeah. Um in the title. But um there's a really cool romantic it's not a well, dramedy, I guess, called The Lovers and it's Deborah Winger and Tracy Letts. Tracy Letts is the he's an actor but he's also a writer known for Bug and August Osage County. And it's a long-married couple. They each have a lover and their lovers are are tired of them stringing them along. They want the marriage to break up. The couple want to hold it together until their 20-something son arrives at home for a visit with his new girlfriend. And th- this is a film. It is. It is a s- small independent film. Um, always good to see Deborah Winger. I mean, she. I know she's. She, there was. There was a. Pe- and in fact, they made a documentary about her. 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 Quote unquote disappearance, with the documentary "Searching for Deborah Winger," and I mean, she's popped up in things. It was. I. I recently watched her again, and of course, Rachel getting married because of Jonathan Demme's uh, passing. Um, but she, she, anyway, it's. It's good to see her again, and and. It's a really solid performance by the two leads. Um there's a lot of sense of routine and qu- little behavioral quirks and choices. This is not a big budget dumb romantic comedy, rom-com. This is not a Nancy Myers film. <laughs> they do not have a ridiculous house and they have ridiculous jobs. They have they have jobs at cubicles and they have a nice little three or two level home. Um so it's not that it, it's more rooted, and they work really, really well together. So, um, and I took my wife to this, and uh, it, it, it's an actor showcase, I should say, with with the two of them. So that is out there. Also, um, we were talking off air about the the kind of current streak of hits, although minor, of Richard Gere um i know you i think you you talked about the dinner which uh right. you know it's my dinner with andre plus uh carnage i think if you if you were to combine those things uh so and you it was like a, the four person show right
0: yeah it's uh richard gear he's a uh a politician and his wife is uh rebecca hall and... uh
1: i f j a best actress winner rebecca hall yes we we, very we, we, we well like deserved. to do that
0: <laughs> um I think she actually tweeted us and things. She us did. For we that. it
1: was a big film nerd moment for the IFJA as we got a we got a shout out from an actor.
0: Um so I was happy to see her again and uh and then the other couple is uh Steve Coogan and uh Laura Linney. Um for me Steve Coogan steals the show, but uh Richard Gere is also great. Um and they're two couples kind of trying to decide what to do with their kids who committed a horrible crime that could, you know, soil um, Richard Gere's career as a as a public figure as a politician? Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely worth seeing. For me, his uh, revival kind of started with um, the hoax.
1: Well, I'd say that's yeah, that's two thousand six, and uh, I, I remember seeing that. That's that's also another underappreciated film from Lasse Holstrom. Mm. Um, I'm going through his going through his IMDb because um, not to not to not to no, integrate on okay. that, but um, but I think but the last few films he's done. I know he appeared in Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. He he sadly appeared in Movie Forty Three. He must have lost a bet <laughs> with somebody. But I think it's there's there's a streak of smaller films. I think they were all shot in New York, maybe, because he lives there, but I think. But, but there was Time Out of Mind, which was uh, where he's a homeless person dead, with great hair. Um, <laughs> the Benefactor, which I know was he was a, kind of a Svengali uh, person, uh, character. The Dinner, as you talked about. And then uh, the film that's opening today is a film called Norman and it's a story of and it's listed as the moderate rise and tragic fall of a new york fixer that's the subhead for norman uh he plays in a norman oppenheimer who's a kind of a small time business operator um you never see him at home you see him constantly on the street with his hat and his coat and scarf and his his earbuds which is connected to his phone he's one of those when when we joke about somebody introducing themselves as a, as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. Or a businessman, you know, and they have the generic business card with no address, <laughs> and it looks like they printed it themselves. He, he's one of these guys who just kind of rubs elbows and is able to name drop fairly well and get himself into situations to meet people. What What's fascinating about the character and the performance from Gear is he. It it is hustling, but it's also really sincere, well done hustling. Um, he winds up rubbing elbows with a gentleman who was a who became a deputy prime minister of Israel, and then we cut to three years later, and he, he winds up becoming prime minister of Israel. So between that, his name dropping abilities, and then he gets because of the uh, the change in power in Israel. He gets pressure from his synagogue to raise money for their synagogue, or else they're going to lose the building, basically. Hmm. Um, Steve Buscemi, uh, Michael Sheen plays Gear's nephew, who's trying to stay out of all of this because it's, well, you see it in the title, or to steal a line from my daughter watching Hamlet, it's not going to end good. <laughs> not going to end good for somebody. Um, Hank Azari is in this as well. But, uh, but he is, it's not quite as slick as, say, Billy Flynn in Chicago, but he and and he's trying to do he's trying to be an entrepreneur and businessman for the right reasons even if his even if his business practices aren't the uh the most up and up hmm. um it's a fascinating film to watch and he's really good to, to to watch in this it's um oh my gosh i'm trying to remember the gentleman who uh Gentleman who wrote and directed this, Joseph Cedar, who d- had a film, uh, really liked to fight us uh, back in 2011 called Footnote, which was a uh, d- uh, rival professors who were also father and son. Oh wow! So yeah, hmm. go go check out that. So yeah, it's nice to see Gear doing some some interesting stuff re- uh, recently. And uh, you also mentioned you mentioned Hoax. I also mentioned Hashi, the the good dog film directed by Lasse Holstrom.
0: Yeah, I I wasn't crazy about that one. <laughs> um but uh, you,
1: you know what in Hashi you didn't hear you didn't see second unit footage of a dog being forced into a body of water. That's true. At least there's that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um also opening in theaters this weekend is a documentary called Jeremiah Tower: The Last Magnificent about the rise and it says rise and fall, but I would say rise and disappearance of they they're calling it America's first celebrity chef. I think Julia Child would like a word with you, but um, this is a CNN produced documentary. Anthony Bourdain is one of the executive producers on it. He's also one of the talking heads and members of the talking heads of, of this film. So you have he's a part of this Martha Stewart, Mario Batali, people that we do know telling you about how important and influential this guy was. Uh, he was a part of a up-and-coming, uh, very high-end restaurant in San Francisco in the '70s, and he started opening his own restaurant. And he apparently was the first, it says the first celebrity chef, but but one where the chef is the conductor of the kitchen orchestra. Mm-hmm. He, he was seen in you know milling about the restaurant with a glass of champagne in his hand, rubbing elbows, and you know talking about the restaurant. Uh, you know you didn't know who cooked the food. Forty years ago, it was just you know there was this thing, so you had this restaurant in Frisco with huge open space, and anybody from you know world leaders to Run DMC and the Beastie Boys showing up for dinner, anybody was involved, anybody was invited. Big open kitchen, so you could see what things were going on, and part of it, not you know, talks about his early days, talks about his upbringing, which kind of comes into his process in the kitchen. But it also goes back and forth because in 2014, he kind of disappeared after his restaurant closed, kind of disappeared from the limelight, was living in Mexico, and then uh, came back to New York to open – to be the head chef at Tavern on the Green, which was a touristy – still is a a kind of a tourist trap restaurant. So the film follows Tower, who kind of looks like the love child of Gary Cooper and John Hurd a little bit. And – but if you're a foodie in any way and I am I'm, I'm a food network cooking channel junkie um hearing the stories about him are are fascinating this is also a documentary um that has the ha- it has a couple things that uh should be noted it's it's um you have uh, footage of Tower wandering around Mexico like it's a like it's an odd Terrence Malick film. A lot <laughs> of you know that kind of gloss and slow mode. The only thing missing is his hand going over a field of wheat <laughs> as he's going across. There's also some reenactments of of his character you know, of him when he was of, of somebody playing him as a younger person. It's hmm. not quite Hillary's America weird when it comes to reenactments, but it's a little distracting. But uh, but the story itself, and if you, again, if you're a fan of food, it's definitely worth checking out. So that is out there as well. There's plenty to choose from. Uh, I want to get to um, IU Cinema a little bit. Uh, and again, this depends on when you're listening to this show. If you're listening first thing Saturday, thank you. If you're listening on Sunday or Monday, you might be out of luck with some of these listings. Just saying. So over at IU Cinema... You have time right now at 3 o'clock on Saturday the 26th, the 2016 documentary David Lynch, The Art Life. And uh, kudos to the A.V. Club this week in The Onion. Apparently it was David Lynch week. A lot of write-ups about Lynch's work and and Wild at Heart and, the, I guess, the reboot of Twin Peaks. Uh, from 2016, As part of the International Art House series, the film Colossal, with uh, uh, Anne Hathaway and Jason mm. Sudeikis. Monday the 23rd, speaking of date films, Kinsey from 2004. Um, Thursday the 25th, Harold and Lillian, A Hollywood Love Story, the biography of, uh, of Harold and Lillian. Um, sorry, hold on. That's, it's, um, yeah, Harold and Lillian Michelson. Sorry, I was going gish. That's not it. So, um, that's, uh, and then... Uh, Friday the twenty sixth at seven p.m. the commune, and then Harold and Lillian, A Hollywood love story. Saturday the twenty seventh at three p.m. in the commune at seven p.m. Um, and then yeah, we'll get to that. That's enough of that. Um, over at the Tibbs Drive In, okay. Here are the odd pairings. See, good lord. All right, over at the Tibbs Drive In, and you know we we are pro drive in here. You should have a drive in experience with possible even with these pairings. Uh, screen one. Alien Covenant, and Snatched.
0: (laughs) Who planned that? Well, I guess Snatched could be like a palate cleanser.
1: They're both R-rated. That's the only connection I can think of. I don't think they're... Are they the same studio? I can't. So, weird. Um, Screen (laughs) 2. King Arthur. Ugh. (laughs) You you had to sit through that, didn't you?
0: I no, actually, I'm oh. I'm lying. I didn't I didn't see it, but okay. it looks terrible, and I've heard it's terrible.
1: Well, you can see that with How to Be a Latin Lover.
0: Oh, okay,
1: okay. <laughs> uh, screen three, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and Slight.
0: Oh yeah, that looked kind of interesting. Yep.
1: Oh, also opening in theaters this weekend, but it's out of my uh, out of my core audience. Uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul, and The Boss Baby.
0: Uh, Joe Shearer from the Film Yap interviewed Alicia Silverstone. She for, is in that, yes. Uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, yeah. So
1: you can check that out at the Film Yap. Um, that's happening at the Tibbs. Way to go, guys. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, and then over at the Skyline Drive-In in Shelbyville, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul. And apparently we missed the screening of 1985's Evils of the Night. Fun with Oh, Aldo, Ray's, Aldo Ray and Tina Louise and Neville Brand. Wow. Hmm. Anyway, that is happening over there. A reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that starting June 9th, Fridays and Saturdays at midnight at the Keystone Art Cinema is their summer midnight movie series. And I think this theme this summer is visually messed up. (laughs) We have uh, The NeverEnding Story, June 9th and 10th, Ken Russell's The Devils, June 16th and 17th, The Tommy Wiseau Masterpiece, The Room, June 23rd and June 24th, yeah, you'll be hearing the interview on a future film sociology, (laughs) June 30th and July 1st, Ponyo, July 7th and 8th, Grave of the Fireflies, The Love Witch from uh, July 14th and 15th, Fantastic Planet, July 21st and 22nd. And Hedwig and the Angry Inch, July 28th and 29th at the Keystone Arts Cinema. Okay. Um, I'm going to get to the video store. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD To The Point and WFYI.org. Here with Sam Watermeyer of the Film Yap. Um, Did you see the last
0: XXX film? Um, no, I didn't. But I, uh, I've grown fond of, uh, Vin Diesel. Why? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I've developed a bit of a man crush on him. I think he's, uh, charming and cool.
1: But you didn't watch Return of Xander Kane?
0: No, I haven't seen, uh, any of those, actually. Really? Yeah. Okay, well. I've seen all the fast movies now, though.
1: Yeah, the, um,. The speaking of the onion, they they do a thing. They've been doing a series every couple every two weeks on Friday. They will um, they would do a of a, a look at the year in action cinema. They started with Bullet in nineteen sixty eight, mm-hmm. and then they would highlight one major film that was the best, what they considered the best action film of that year. And then they would talk about the secondary films, uh, runners-up uh, film, yeah, action films from around the world, that sort of thing. And it's been, it's been a great series to read, and you're like, oh, yeah, I should see that, or I should check that out. And uh, we, we got to, I think it's 2001, because uh, the fast, the first Fast and the Furious is on there. Back when they were actually 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 able to do some stunts, before, <laughs> uh, before CG completely took over that franchise. Anyway, so Triple X is new on DVD and Blu-ray. Resident Evil, the final chapter... Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: well, hopefully the final chapter.
1: I, I this is, this is I think I saw the first one and that was it. So, yeah. Um, let's move over to older titles. <laughs> I, I have to say, hopefully on next week's show, I have to give a shout out and thanks to uh, IFJA, uh, one of the elder statesmen, Bob Bloom. He he let me borrow his Blu-ray copies of Willard and Ben. Now mm-hmm. there's a double feature, especially if you like rodents.
0: Have you seen the Crispin Glover?
1: I have. Version? Um the remake of Willard is not bad. Great casting. I yeah. mean if you're going to have somebody who uh who communicates with uh with an army of rats, why not Crispin Glover? <laughs> and and even even the remake even the remake of the song uh by Crispin Glover is is amusing. Yes. The Academy Award nominated Song for best song by Michael Jackson, a love song about a rat. Ben, <laughs> I believe when Michael Jackson died, that's the song I played on this show. Oh wow! Um, also on Blu-ray, I think this is on Blu-ray for the first time. William H- Walter Hill's uh, *Streets of Fire*, the 1950s rock and roll action film, and sadly enough, one of the worst films I've ever experienced, partly from an exploitation standpoint. Bruce Lee's incomplete but they completed it anyway final film game of death mm. with uh, Gig Young Colleen, uh, Colleen Camp Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and a bunch of stand-ins for Bruce Lee it was just bad mm. uh, but, so yeah that's out there you're on your own. But um, I do want to get to Sam's column. Sam, you, tell us a little bit about uh, about your series. This has been fun because, one, we, we kind of do these series, ladies and gentlemen. I know Chris Lloyd has his reeling back. I do my Into the Archives. It's really an excuse for us to see stuff we have not seen before.
0: Right. And uh, for this one, uh, for my column, the long and short of it, I was basically trying to get around to – uh, what are often deemed essential films uh, that I had just put off watching, uh, partly because of their length. And
1: partly because old guys like us are going, what do you mean you haven't seen Lawrence of Arabia? What's wrong with you?
0: Right. Um, and that was kind of the big one that inspired it, but um, because everyone was, was on me about not seeing that. But um, actually, the latest one I did wasn't really what you would call essential viewing no it was uh kevin cosner's uh the postman because i had already seen his other epic which you might consider essential viewing dances with wolves um so and i'm trying to focus obviously just on stuff i haven't seen before and i've always been kind of morbidly curious about uh the postman um because it's i think it has a single digit score on rotten tomatoes
1: yeah i i i did not see it in the theater i rented it like 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 you did <laughs> and uh the only reason why that got made is because dances with wolves won best picture and a slew of money right. um this was his second time directing a film and it screams all caps really important <laughs> Right. and uh and you, it i got you get a ha- I got a headache getting hit over the head with the message
0: um yeah i i can see that especially uh near the end um it it becomes pretty self indulgent um gene siskel jokingly called it dances with myself mm-hmm. because uh thank you billy idol <laughs> <laughs> because um you know kevin costner's character is just painted in this saintly light Um, The one aspect of it, though, that I did enjoy was when he finds himself in this small town amid, uh, you know, a dystopian future, and they see him, uh, he's impersonating a, a postman, and they kind of find comfort in the past amid this bleak future, and it kind of, I don't know, it kind of made me nostalgic for... You know, snail mail, and in this age of instant communication, um, and
1: Tom Petty cameos,
0: right? Uh, playing Billy himself. Bob Th-
1: Billy Bob Thornton approves.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, Tom Petty plays himself, and actually, <laughs> when Kevin Cosner encounters him, he says something like, "I know you. You're famous," and it's such an awkward moment.
1: It's it's like it's like Tom Petty just was in a three hour "You Got Lucky" video. <laughs>
0: Um but actually overall I didn't I didn't hate it. I uh I actually liked it a little bit. Okay. Um
1: time heals I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um and uh the next one coming up is uh The Godfather Part 3 which is important to me because uh, my mom actually went into labor with me while she was in the theater watching The Godfather Part Three.
1: Okay, no Sofia Coppola jokes. That's low hanging fruit, and it's not fair.
0: Yeah, and um, you, you were know, so you. She went into
1: labor while watching it.
0: Yeah, and it was actually the last fifteen minutes or so. Oh and, gosh! And she says that my you know her water broke. And she said, she says that my dad actually asked if they could just wait until the, the very end because it was just starting to get oh good. Gosh. Um, and I don't know, we joke that, you know, the fact that I, I couldn't wait until the end of the movie, that was like my first review. So <laughs> we'll, uh, wow. so we'll see, uh, we'll see if I, I uh, enjoy it this time. I've seen large chunks of it on TV here and there, but um I've never sat down and watched it all the way through. I had been kind of avoiding it because um, I don't know. I, I was kind of worried that it would ruin my uh, my birth story. You're and, okay.
1: <laughs> and, and look, look. We, we, we have stories. You know, we have stories that we we tell over time, and sometimes the it gets cloudy. You know, or it gets altered based on time. See the man who shot Liberty Balance. <laughs> um, you know, one and and it, it's. Sometimes it gets corrected. I uh, I have to thank slash blame Chris Lloyd, our fellow film your fellow film yapper and IFJA member, who who showed me a scene that I swear did not go this way. But one of my biggest gripes about what was one of my biggest gripes about Saving Private Ryan was I swore. You, if you remember, at the beginning of the film, we have the old guy, the old vet, and he's in the – he's at Arlington. He's with his family, and then he, he you know kind of has a sinking spell, and he drops to his knee, and then we go into a flashback. I was certain that it was a shot of him and his eyes that are close up, and then it fades into Tom Hanks's close up. Hmm. That is not the case because then my argument was – um, at the end, we find out that the old man is actually the Matt Damon character. Spoiler alert on a 20-year-old film. Shut up. Um, and then we find out that the old man is actually Matt Damon. He's actually Private Ryan. So, of course, my, I, I screamed shenanigans and thought, well, then how the hell could this guy remember the first two hours of the film that he's not in? Hmm. And we had an IFJA meeting, and I think I brought this up. And Chris Lloyd put Saving Private Ryan in the disc player and showed me the opening sequence. And it it, it was not how I remembered it. It was <laughs> there. There were a few other shots of establishing shots of the beach and the boat, and then we got the Tom Hanks. So anyway, good luck with the Godfather Three. That I, I hope you enjoy that. Um, let's see. Going back to Costa for a little bit. Um, yeah, that was in starting in nineteen ninety. We won't talk about revenge. <laughs> but um Dances with Wolves, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, JFK, and The Bodyguard. Hmm. That's a strong quartet of of big films and and you know, some awards and big budget stuff. Then came A Perfect World, which didn't do well, but he got to work with Clint Eastwood, and it's an Eastwood film, he doesn't care. <laughs> um Wyatt Earp. You know, mm-hmm. maybe if maybe if uh tombstone hadn't shown up it would get, but we'll get to tombstone in a little bit mm-hmm. um the war which didn't do well waterworld uh, <laughs> yeah, and by the way waterworld made money worldwide Just, it, you know it didn't make that, it didn't make as much money here it made money globally tin cup which i still love to this day and then the postman. So mm-hmm. that anyway, you had a strong four, and then that—that's a bit of a stumble. Um, and then after that, the career was just different. Not say not the same, but just different. Um, okay, so you'll—you'll you'll be talking about Godfather three. Uh, I went into the archives and found some films that you can only order online, or as Kobe used to say, "Yeah, I'll burn it for five bucks." I didn't <laughs> burn it, but uh, Warner Archives has, and this is one—it's—it's. It's, th- there are certain films you have to. I guess, sort of be in the mood for. I have That has happened with me over time, and I knew it's, it is something... You just don't plop in a film based on a play by Anton Chekhov <laughs> for leisure. But I finally did, and part of it was the cast, and part of it was the director. Warner Brothers put out in 1968 a film version of Anton Chekhov's The Seagull, <laughs> and it's a story where you have uh, an actress falling for who... Uh, we have a young man who's a playwright and a director who is falling for the actress, but the actress falls for an older writer. And if you've ever seen Chekhov, a lot of great outfits and laying in the grass and laying in parlors, sitting in parlors, and um, there are relationships, and there's also money issues and relationship issues, and quite often it doesn't quite end well. But this was directed by Sidney Lumet, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite directors. This is one of his films I couldn't believe I had not seen. Lumet, of course, uh, 12 Angry Men, The Verdict. Network, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, uh, but but he cut his teeth directing theater and then directing television when they had these, um, you know, the live performances on TV. So very theatrically trained. Uh, Lamette was one he would like to have at least two weeks of rehearsal before shooting. So actors loved working with him, and he shot this on location in Sweden. And he had David Warner as the playwright, young playwright. Um, You had Vanessa Redgrave as the actress. Uh, James Mason as the older uh, playwright or, or say, older writer. Um, Harry Andrews. And so it's one thing to hear these people doing Chekhov. But you also have to remember in 68 and, and from then on... Um James Mason and Harry Andrews didn't have to do a whole lot because they got cast as James Mason and Harry Andrews. Um you know Harry Andrews if if Trevor Howard wasn't available and you needed somebody with a great big jaw and needed somebody authoritative and maybe a heavy drinker um you got Harry Andrews and he's quite good in this and there's there's a, some great single shots, single long takes of James Mason. Um, doing this really fun dialogue. Uh, anyway, it 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 has a low budget feel to it. It looks like it's shot in a couple locations, kind of like a you know a lot of the BBC uh, masterpiece theater outings in the late sixties. Like some you know they they shot it in some lord's backyard and they had a castle for uh, rent for a couple days. But anyway, it if if you're if you're in the Chekhov and a really like I said a really cool cast of of fine actors. Um, that is out on uh, on Warner Archives. Um, okay. Um, you know what? Actually, let, I'm going to take a short break, and uh, I'm going to explain this song in a little bit that I'm going to use during the break. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show, here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. <laughs> Welcome back to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI, hd 2 the point, and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Socey. Hanging out with Sam Watermeyer of the Film App, and yes, what you heard during the break was Chris Cornell doing You Know My Name, the theme from the film Casino Royale. Now... And of course, uh, Chris passed away earlier this week. There, there was a period where, with the James Bond films, you more or less got a crooner to do the songs, whether it was Tom Jones or Shirley Bassey, or you know, even a '70s crooner like Carly Simon. And and then you know, it started to by the '80s, you were getting groups like Duran Duran and Aha, and then Tina Turner got to do one and. So it was – and Sheryl Crow, and then eventually, yeah, Chris Cornell got to do one. So it was fascinating. Um, I I got to see uh, Soundgarden when they opened for Skid Row back when I was in college. This was before uh, – this was right before I think Bad Motor Finger really blew up. Mm-hmm. So um, – Anyway, it was but it was just intriguing that he got to do this. A great powerful vocalist, whether it was Audio Slave or Soundgarden and of course solo. And I'm gonna get to his his vocals in film in a little bit. But you were at the show last week, right?
0: I was, and it was great. I uh went with my girlfriend and uh fellow film yapper Nick Rogers, who I had gone to uh Chris Cornell's solo show with last summer. Uh, Which was also great. Um, And I'm a huge uh, 90s grunge fan. And I think you could call Cornell one of the kind of founding fathers of of grunge. Of course.
1: Yeah. Um, But looking back at songs that appear, you know, and you go through this, and there's, there's, I think he's either Soundgarden or Chris Cornell, 70 credits for soundtracks. I'm not going to go through all of them, but um, I, I remember. Um, ultra Mega Okay when I was at my college radio station and it, you know music appearing in Say Anything, Pacific Heights, uh, forgot it was something in Wayne's World. Uh, he had a cameo. He only had one cameo as an actor, and that was in singles. Hmm. And if I remember right, that was I think it was it a, was, uh, I believe it was he did a uh, an acoustic song on the single soundtrack. So that I mean to balance out the the ultra volume of, of Soundgarden um, I always remember Outshine being used in the one scene in True Romance where Brad Pitt is uh, stoned on the couch and James Gann, well and the hitman show up and they let him live
0: yeah right fun scene i the one that stuck out for me was uh shadow uh, shadow on the sun uh in collateral
1: yep i just i just saw it right here yeah um
0: it plays after this really beautiful moment where uh jamie fox and tom cruise are stopped at a at a traffic light and a uh i think a coyote runs across the street and Mm -hmm. shadow on the sun starts playing
1: See, um, music also appeared in SFW, the Basketball Diaries, Hype. Oh, Great Expectations, yeah. Blast from the Past. Okay, I'm going through it. Uh, Riding Giants, um, Bug, the film version of Miami Vice, uh, Talladega Nights. Because of course we just mentioned Casino Royale. So, but yeah, um, that's sad. And I, I you know uh, there's there's always been. You know the the three bands you talk about in the grunge rise, which I remember witnessing in in college at the especially at the radio station, were Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden. And, and you know, and now, uh, as if they weren't linked enough already, Kurt Cobain and Chris Cornell are going to be forever linked in two different styles, or actually two different me- two different approaches, uh, two different methods. So anyway, I'm rambling. Sorry about that, but uh, but yeah, that's. Quite an impact, so salute yeah. to Chris um I want to get to some more dead people we like because we don't have time for dead people we don't like thanks Chris um powers booth, who was sixty eight and uh you know was still showed no signs of slowing down or at least so we thought uh working on the TV series of agents of shield and Going back, I always remember, because um, it fascinated me at the time, I think it was for a lot of people, he had he had done a couple of things, uh, was a stage actor and had a couple small movie roles, and then uh, got an Emmy and got really national notoriety in 1980 for playing the Reverend Jim Jones in the TV movie Guyana Tragedy, the story of Jim Jones, or as I like to call him, Richmond, Indiana's own Jim Jones. <laughs> Uh, but that that kind of put him on the map in 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 show business. Um, he he's apparently a cast member in the scenes of Richard III in the Goodbye Girl, which now I got to go find, <laughs> and also listed as hanky salesman in Cruising. The William Friedkin Al Pacino gay uh, gay leather bar movie, so I might have to look at that as well. Uh, but some other films right after that, um, 1981 Southern Comfort. So I think a nice to have a a, a big knockout on TV, and then a really underappreciated film uh, of Southern Comfort with him and David Carradine. Uh, I'm sorry, Keith Carradine. Sorry. Um, some some called it Walter Hill's deliverance uh, where a group of uh, national guard guys are uh are in the Louisiana swamp and they mess with some locals and uh bad things happen not quite as deliverance bad but you kind of get the idea of guys out of their element literally and figuratively um And then appeared in in a lot of small films and then quite often the heavy and even bigger films. But films like A Breed Apart, the original Red Dawn. Uh, I remember seeing The Emerald Forest, so him getting directed by John Borman was pretty cool. Um, The TV series Philip Marlowe, Private Eye. Um, Extreme Prejudice, one of the most manliest films of the 1980s, also directed by Walter Hill. Uh, But in films like Stalingrad and Rapid Fire... Everybody knows him and we'll talk a little bit more of him, of course, as Curly Bill and Tombstone, the mustache festival. But it also appeared in you know, would appear in something of an art project like Blue Sky and in something like Mutant Species. Uh, played the villain in Sudden Death. Yes, Jean-Claude Van Damme in the Ice Rink film. Alexander Haig in Nixon. The Sheriff in U-Turn. Men of Honor. Frailty. Played Senator Rourke in Sin City. Of course, uh, appeared in Deadwood. And was eventually President Noah Daniels in 24. Got to make fun of his uh, tough guy uh, persona as a colonel in *McGruber*, <laughs> And, of course, was in The Avengers and, uh, and the TV series Nashville and Hatfield and McCoy. So... Do you have do you have a Powers booth memory that you can share with us, sir?
0: Well, I think my introduction to him was uh, Tombstone, um, which is uh, a really cool western. Um, and actually, as I was looking through his filmography today, the one that uh, made me perk up a bit was uh, Blue Sky. I, I forgot he was in that, and I like that movie a lot. Um, he plays a a, a base commander in mm-hmm. it. it you know it's about Jessica Lange and Tommy Lee Jones and they live on a military base if i remember correctly yeah this is this is the film
1: Jessica Lange finally won best actress for and she's um she's not the most stable of folks and so her husband played by Tommy Lee Jones who loves her but he's also got a career to think about and yeah so Booth, Booth played a you know kind of a, a, a an authority figure but had a little bit of uh, depth and shade to it
0: yeah and and he uh has an affair with Jessica Lange's character, and um, I actually had just seen that uh, a couple of years ago, and I forgot he was in that. Um, that was one of my favorite performances of his. But um, uh, Tombstone was my introduction to him. So I
1: think somewhere in the world Tombstone is being played on television. Some movie channel has it going on right now. Um, we, we were talking earlier. This was you know, you know there there were two Wyatt Earp films that came out months apart. Uh, Tombstone and of course Wyatt Earp and, and Tombstone won that battle <laughs> um, despite being it, you know it had the better cast and, and I, I keep wondering if if Lawrence Kasdan's Wyatt Earp would have been received better probably maybe if Tombstone hadn't been out hmm. and I because I think if I remember right I think Tombstone did come out first I, I'm sure I, if I'm wrong send me an email <laughs> uh, or send it on Facebook but um But George Cosmo's, I believe, directed it. Who did some of the Rambo films, and it just had everything going for it. You, you know, Kurt Russell got to do Clint Eastwood again, (laughs) although although slightly louder. Um, One of Val Kilmer's finest performances, Um, and then you have so many people coming off the bench like Billy Bob Thornton, Michael Bean, Powers Booth, and you know, apparently Powers Booth got to do more with two words. Well, bye. Than most people do with an entire script, and uh, it's you know Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton, who's of course passed away recently, Uh, but but yeah, just a just a fun romp and stomp in western that uh, you know, like I said, it's it's like a classic rock song. It's it's somebody's showing it on TV somewhere in the world right now. So salute, sir.
0: Yeah, and of course I just remembered, uh, you know, I guess he worked with Bill Paxton again for uh, frailty. Um, which I think is an, an underrated movie.
1: That was yeah, because that was uh, the one Paxton directed, right. As well with Matthew McConaughey, just an odd, dark kind of serial killer film. Another one I need to revisit because I remember it, kinda, it was just odd. There was there was a stretch in the '90s where a lot of big name actors or semi big name actors. That's not a slight; it's true. Uh, but they got to, a lot of a lot of actors got to direct in the '90s, and uh, of course, what happens quite often is, if you are an, if you are an actor of note, you you are able to hopefully pull some favors from 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 some pretty known people to work on your project for very little or no money. And I think frailty was a was a fine example of that. Yeah. Um, I, I had to talk with shifting gears a little bit. I had to talk with Abdul Akeem Shabazz over at, uh, of course, of Indie Politics, and and he asked me to to uh, preview the summer. Have you done a? Have you
0: have you guys done summer previews over at the app? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think so.
1: Okay, but I, I was trying to find. But I was, I, you know, and I generally don't do those unless I'm paid well. <laughs> uh, but but I was looking. I was trying to find stuff that I was looking forward to this summer, especially not as a sequel or a remake or something. And so I actually found four titles and see if these do anything for you. Um and and you know cuz the summer blockbuster season starts in February now. <laughs> but um I mentioned Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. I think Wonder I think the the DC films are like the bad boyfriend or girlfriend. You're like maybe this will be the one. <laughs> this will be the film that DC gets it right. And you know the fact that you have a woman directing with Patty Jenkins and I like Gail Goddard and, you know, you got Chris Pine as, uh, you know, as second banana. <laughs> and then a, a, I like to use the term coming off the bench. Robin Wright, David Thewis, Connie Nielsen, and Danny Houston. So <laughs> hopefully that has, some, that has something to it. Um, Dunkirk with Christopher Nolan writing and directing his own version of the, the international World War II film that were made in the 70s <laughs> uh, with a bigger budget. Um, Detroit. Partially because I'm a Michigan guy, but you have John Boyega, and it's directed by Catherine Bigelow and written by Mark Bull, who has worked oh. with Bigelow on Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, so I guess uh, I guess Detroit being a war-torn, oh, literally a literal war zone, according to the filmmakers. We'll see. And then The Dark Tower, um, mm-hmm. only because I like Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. And I've never read Stephen King's novel on it, and that's not, that's not a problem. I have no qualms with it. I know people who've, who are big King fans who are terrified of the film coming out. I'm not one of those. Hmm. But then it also maybe bring up, I, I think Abdul and I decided we want a remake. Uh, we want Idris Elba, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and John Boyega to star in a remake of Three the Hard Way. The black exploitation film with Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, and Jim Kelly, and they are three guys who fight a white supremacist who's going to poison the water that uh, is happening in the Chicago ghettos.
0: Sounds mm, amazing.
1: Yeah, I think. Well, we we I think we'd watch those three actors read the phone book. So. And we we also decided that it should probably be set in London, so people will think they're actually coming up with those accents, even though they're all English. So anyway, that uh, that's my remake pitch for uh for the year. <laughs>
0: Anything you're nice. looking forward to this summer? Um, I don't know. Uh... I'm not crazy about Wonder Woman because I just hated Batman versus Superman so much. But she was probably the best part of it.
1: Or at least it was, you know what, it's like adding uh, Parmesan cheese or hot sauce to leftovers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's true. uh, I'm excited for Dunkirk. I'm excited to see uh, Christopher Nolan do something a little more stripped down that uh, doesn't have so much sort of philosophical you know exposition.
1: Well, I'm sure there's going to be some of that here. It just it just happens to be set in this war. It's a piece of history as opposed to a future a piece of futuristic uh, existentialism.
0: Right. But I'm I'm kind of happy to see him do uh what seemed what looks like a more straightforward genre movie. Um
1: yeah, because it is it's reminiscent for me of like The Longest Day or A Bridge Too Far or The Eagle Has Landed, you know, something that has half the Screen Actors Guild in it. You know, it also helps that and these were also films of the 70s. We were talking about this on the show last week um, with Chris Lloyd. You know, there were a number of like international star films and also disaster movies where big-name actors got a lot of money to do very little. And I think if you have Christopher Nolan writing and directing – and you have Tom Hardy, Kenneth Branagh, Mark Rylance, and Killian Murphy, among others. Wow! Um, I think they're gonna have, they're gonna be able to flex their acting muscles a little bit.
0: Yeah, hopefully that's a great cast. Yeah, um, so
1: fingers crossed on that.
0: I think uh, there's a comedy coming out this summer called Rough Night, which looks like a female version of The Hangover
1: or the female version of. Um, Oh crud! That's I'm um, sorry. Keep going. To <laughs> find um, the title that, that bugs me. <laughs> uh,
0: it's I think it stars Scarlett Johansson and um,
1: Kate. Uh, keep going.
0: Um, so you know I'm I'm curious to to see if that'll be kind of a big summer comedy like The Hangover.
1: I'm sorry. Very bad things. That was it because it was a go- a bachelor party that went horribly wrong and and now we have a female version of that.
0: Right. And Kate right. McKinnon.
1: Sorry, Kate McKinnon's in that with Scarlett.
0: Oh good. Um... I've never seen very bad things.
1: That's really okay.
0: <laughs> um, but I don't know. Off the top of my head, that's uh, that's all I can really think of um, in terms of stuff coming out. Uh, of course, I'm curious about Spider-Man. Um, I think it's hilarious that Aunt May is played by Marissa Tomei.
1: Which means the next film is going to be Ariel Winter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know. It's, well, you have to go from Julie Harris to Sally Field to Marissa Tomei. So, you know. Thanks for that. <laughs> but Michael Keaton gets to play a villain. Um right. so hopefully hopefully he'll have some hopefully he'll have some fun with this and hopefully he'll have some uh, an opportunity to have fun with this. So um okay, just a reminder, go to the and The Godfather 3 write up is happening uh, next Friday. Next Friday. So Sam, thank you for hanging out. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, some words to live by.
0: Silent breed is people.
1: Zardoz
0: spoken.
1: Go see a good movie. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. <laughs>
0: let her watch Manos.
1: <laughs> Is she scarred for life? Let's put it this way. How when I
0: parent are you?
1: <laughs> when I wake her up, I vocalize the theme to wake her up to get her oh, ready to school. Oh, you're
0: a terrible father.
1: <laughs> we'll do it live.
0: Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live!